Part One, Chapter Eight of *The Pride of Yenico*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Pride of Yenico* by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter Eight. And now, what I must set down of myself is so passing strange that had I not, I myself, lived through it were i not now in an earthly hell for the mere want of her i could not have believed that human nature above all the superior quality of human nature appertaining to basil yenico could be so weak a thing i had meant to be master i found myself a slave a slave of what a dimple a pair of yellow eyes veiled by long black lashes a saucy child i had meant to have held her merely as my toy at the whim of my will and pleasure and behold the very sound of her voice the fall of her light foot would set my blood leaping under the glance of her wilful eye my whole being would become as wax to the flame in olden days people would have said i was bewitched i think looking back on it all now that it was perhaps her singular dissimilarity from any other woman i had ever met that began the spell had she opposed to my anger on that memorable night of our marriage the ordinary arms of a woman discovered had she wept implored bewailed her fate who shall say that even at the cost of my vanity i might not have driven her straight back to her princess who shall say that i should have wished to keep her even to save myself from ridicule it is impossible for me now to unravel the tangled threads of that woof that has proved in the winding-sheet of my young happiness but this i know this of my baseness and my better nature that once i had kissed her i was no longer a free man and every day that passed, every hour I spent with her, welded closer and firmer the chains of my servitude. She was an enigma which I ever failed to solve. That alone was alluring. Judged by her actions, most bare-faced little schemer, most errant adventurous plotting for a wealthy match, there was yet something about her which absolutely forbade me to harbour in her presence an unworthy thought of her guilty of deceit such as hers had been towards me she ought to have displayed either a conscious stricken or a brazen soul i found her emanate an atmosphere not only of childlike innocence but of lofty purity that often made me blush for my grosser imaginings she ought by rights to have feared me to have been humble at least she was as proud as lucifer before the fall and as fearless as he when he dared defy his creator she ought to have mistrusted me shown doubt of how i would treat her and alas in what words could i describe the confidence she gave me so generous so sublime so guileless it would have forced one less enamoured than myself into endeavouring to deserve it for very shame a creature of infinite variety of moods with never a sour one among them the serenest temper and the merriest heart i have ever known a laugh to make an old man young and a smile to make a young man mad as fresh as spring as young and as fanciful i never knew in what words she would answer me what things she would do in what humour i should find her yet her tact was exquisite she dared all and never bruised a fibre till that last terrible day my poor lost love and besides and beyond this there was yet another thing about her which drew me on till i was all lost in love she was elusive i never felt sure of her never felt that she was wholly mine her tenderness oh my god her tenderness was divine and yet i felt i had not all she had to give there was still a secret hanging upon that exquisite lip a mystery that i had yet to solve 
a land that lay unexplored before me, and it comes upon me like madness, now that she is gone from me, perhaps forever, that I may never know the word of the riddle. I have said that the past is like a dream to look back upon. No part of it is more dreamlike than the days which followed my strange wedding. They seem to melt into each other, and yet it is the memory of them which is at once my joy and my torture now. At first she did not touch, nor did I, upon the question which lay like a covered fire always smouldering between us. And in a while it came about with me that I lived as a gambler upon the pleasure of the moment, and though in my heart I had not told myself yet that I would give up my revenge, though it was hidden there, a sleeping viper, cruel and implacable, I strove to forget it, strove to think neither of the future nor of the past. I hung a curtain over my uncle's picture, at which old Janos nearly broke his heart. I rolled up the pedigree very tight and rammed it into a drawer, and the autumn days seemed all too short for the golden hours they gave me. No one came to disturb us in our solitude, no hint from the outer world. We, too, were as apart in our honeymoon as the most jealous lovers could wish. I knew not what had become of the princess. In very truth I could not bear to think of her. The memory of the absurd part I had been made to play was so unpalatable, was associated with so much that was painful and humiliating, and brought with it such a train of disquieting reflections that I drove it from me systematically. I never wanted to see the woman again, to hear her voice, or even learn what had become of her. That I never had one particle of lover's love for her was plainer than ever to me now. In the midst of the new feelings with which my unsought bride inspired me, I knew what love meant at last, and would at times be filled with an angry contempt for myself, that she who had proved herself so all unworthy should be the one to have this power upon me. Thus the days went by quite aimlessly, and by and by as they went the thought of what I had planned to do became less and less welcome to me. Not, to my shame be it said, for its wickedness, but because I could not contemplate life without my present happiness. And after yet a while the idea, at first rejected as monstrous, impossible, nay even as a base breach of faith to my dead uncle, that I might make the sacrifice of my yenical pride and actually content myself after all with this unfit alliance, began to take shape within me. Gradually this idea grew dearer to me hour by hour, though I still in secret held to the possibility of my other plan, as a sort of rod and pickle over the head of my perverse companion, and caressed it now and again in my inmost soul, when she was most provoking, as a method to bring her to my knees in dire humiliation, but only to have the ultimate sweetness of nobly forgiving her. For Ottilie was far from showing a proper spirit of contrition, or a fitting sense of what she owed me, and this galled me at times to the quick. I had never ceased to entertain the resolve of taming the wild little lady, although I found it increasingly difficult to begin the process. Alone we were by no means lonely. Even though the days fell away into a month's length, we rode together, we drove, we walked, she chattered like a magpie, and I never knew a second stillness. She whipped my blood for me like a frosty wind, or so it seemed to me, took a new bloom and a new beauty in her happiness, for she was happy. The only sour visage in Tolendal at the time was, I think, that of the strange nurse. I had found her waiting in my wife's bedroom the night of our homecoming. She never spoke to me during the whole time of her stay, nor to Schultz, although he was her countryman. With the others, of course, saving Janos, she could not have exchanged a word, and but that she spoke with her mistress sometimes, I should have thought her dumb. 
that woman hated me i have seen her eyes follow me about as if she would willingly murder me but her nursling she loved in quite as vehement a fashion and therefore i bore with her we had been married a week when ottilie first made allusion to the princess we were to ride out on that day and she came down to breakfast all equipped but for one boot i have never seen so daintily untidy a person as she was in all my life her hair smelt of fresh violets but there was always a twist out of place or a little curl that had broken loose her clothes were of singular fineness and richness but she would tear them and tatter them like a very schoolgirl romp and so that morning she tripped in with one pink satin bedroom slipper and one yellow leather riding boot i would not let her send for her dark-visaged attendant to repair the neglect but fetched the boot myself and knelt to put it on as i took off the slipper i paused for a moment weighing it in my hand it was so little a thing so slender so pretty she looked down at me with a smile and said composedly do you think sir that the other orderly could have put on that shoe it was as i said the first time that the subject had been mentioned between us since the night of our marriage i felt as if a cloud came over me and looked up darkly at her it was not wise surely i thought in my heart to touch upon what i was willing to forget but she had no misgivings she slipped out from under her long riding skirt the small unbooted foot in its shining pink silk stocking and said you would not have liked monsieur de Yenico to have acted lady's maid to her for you are very fastidious as it did not take me long to find out oh she went on if you knew how grateful you ought to be to me for preventing you from marrying her you would have been so unhappy and you deserved a better fate but i thought said i and such was my weakness that the sight of her pretty foot took away my anger and i was all lost in the discovery of how everything about her seemed to curve her hair in its ripples her lip in its arch her nostrils her little chin her lithe young waist and now her foot i thought and as i spoke i took it into my hand it was the princess's plan did i say so she said lightly that woman was never capable of a plan in her life no sir i always made her do what i liked her intelligence was just brilliant enough to allow her to realize that she had better follow my advice will you put on my boot sir ah what treachery i held her tightly by the heel and looked up well pleased at her laughing face i loved to watch her laugh and then i kissed her silk stocking and put the boot on to such depths had i come in my unreasoning infatuation i felt no anger with her for the revelation which indeed as i think i have previously set down was from the beginning scarcely news to me i had yet to learn how completely innocent of all complicity in the deception played upon me was her poor serenity how innocent even of the pride and contempt i still attributed to her the season for the chase had opened once or twice i had already been out with the keepers after stags or wild boars and my wife a pretty figure in her three-cornered hat and fine green riding suit had ridden courageously at my side at the beginning of the third week we made a journey higher into the mountains and stayed a few days at a certain hunting-box the absolute isolation of which seemed by contrast to make tollendal a very vortex the wild place pleased her fancy we had some splendid boar-hunting in the almost inaccessible passes of the mountains and utterly showed herself as keen at the chase as i although womanlike she shrank from the finish she vowed she loved the loneliness the simplicity of the rough wood-built lodge the savageness of the scenery she loved too the novel excitement of the life the long day's riding the sleepy supper by the roaring wood-fire 
with the howl of the dogs outside and the cry of the autumn wind about the heights she begged me with pretty insistence that we should come back and spend the best part of the coming month in this airy nest we are more alone she said coaxingly with one of her rare fits of tenderness you are more mine basil and i promised her that we should only return to tollendal to settle matters with the steward and provide ourselves with what we wanted and then we should have a new honeymoon i would have promised anything at such a moment it is the truth that in those days somehow we had as she said grown closer to each other on the last night wearied out by the long hours on horseback she had fallen asleep as she sat in a great carved wooden chair by the flaming hearth while i sat upon the other side wakeful watching her full of thought she looked all a child as she slept her face small and pale and tired the shadow of the long lashes very black upon her cheeks and then came upon me like a sort of nightmare the memory of what i had meant to make of this young creature who had trusted herself to me for the first time i faced my future boldly and took a great resolve in the silence listening to the fall of her light breath and the sullen roar of the wind in the pine forest without i resolved to sacrifice my pride and keep my low-born wife end of part one chapter eight